A little interesting fact about the birth of Rebecca Wesselson. She was born on September 16th, which is the same birthday as Ed Kruliak. And what a, what a powerful reminder to us that the Lord gives and takes away. That here we have Ed approaching the end of the days that God has appointed to him. And on the very same day, God adds to our congregation a baby. And just to make the point even stronger, that day happens to be the most popular day to be born in this church. Uh, because my wife and uh, Dan DeWitt's wife, Linda, they also have a birthday on September 16th. So I guess it's, it's our day as a church. Uh, Bruce said something very uh, interesting when he was up here going through everything that the congregation is going through. And, and Bruce and I have talked about this before, and I agree with him. He said that when, in the last few weeks or the last month when he's been feeling down, he goes to the bed of a dying man. And that picks him up. Now, doesn't that sound strange? But it's not strange. In fact, it's, it's exactly true. I have, in the last, I don't know, a couple months, spent more than the average amount of time in my life as a minister uh, in the hospital with different people. And I've been to more funerals, uh, it seems, recently than I have in a long time. And there's something about uh, that part of human life and human existence that that makes theology matter. There's something about being in, in the uh, palliative care unit at Woodstock General Hospital that all of a sudden makes preaching matter. It, it makes Bible study matter. It makes the gospel matter. And, and when we were singing worship this morning, you know, it was, it was Ed's bedside that was in my mind alongside the hope that I have in Christ. And so I would just encourage you, if, if you are in this church, and you have not been journeying with someone who has been in the hospital or who has put a loved one to rest, you're missing out. And so find someone. We have the Corlettes who are going through grief. We have the Raymers who are going through grief still. We have the Bartleys who are going through grief. We have the Duex who are going through grief. We have the Karuliaks who are going through grief. And if, if you want to see some real substance to your faith, if you want to be gathered together as one family under Christ here on a Sunday morning, then weep with those who weep. And all of a sudden, when you start singing about the hope we have in Christ, no fear in death. That was a, a lyric that we sang this morning. No fear in death. It, it's not abstract in this church right now. That is not an abstract, far away, hard to get your head around concept. No fear in death. So I just encourage you to be in the life of people who are suffering in this church. And I, I don't want to forget the Fosters. Elva's been in the hospital for two weeks. Have you prayed for these families? Have you 
picked up the telephone to call these families? Have you wrote an email to these families? Have you gone to the hospital to see these families? Have you taken a meal to these families? Have you embraced someone from one of these families on a Sunday morning and, and talked about something more substantial than the Blue Jays? Or the NHL season? And I'm not, I'm not, um, exhorting you to make you feel bad if you haven't done these things, but I am exhorting you because if you haven't done those things, not to be guilty, but you're missing out. You're missing out. And this is, uh, this is the platform from which I want to share the Word of God this morning. Because, you know, I intended to preach this stretch of scripture in two messages, two messages, and it's going to be three. And, you know, God's timing is amazing because it's all about rest. It's all about the hope that we have in the face of death. It's all about coming to the end of ourselves and saying, well, what are we going to do? At the face of this struggle, this work, suffering these fears well we have rest in christ rest promised rest given rest yet to come and it's in light of all the death in our church and praise god for rebecca new life but even in the face of death everyone who has died connected to this church that i am aware of has known the lord So we have hope. Would you open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4? Hebrews chapter 4. As you're looking for your spot, would you please stand? Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to read verses 4 through 10. These are the very words of God. This is, this is the word that God has given us for such a time as this in the life of our church. Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 4. He, that is the Holy Spirit of God, has somewhere in His Word spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all His works. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day. Today. Saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today. If you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from His works as God did from His. These are the words of God. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this promise of rest and for the, the warnings that you give us in Hebrews 3 and 4 about entering that rest. Pray that you would open our eyes, that we would be sure to enter that rest. Today, as we look at, at what that rest is, would you bless us? Give us assurance of our salvation or conviction of a counterfeit faith that we may rest in Christ and look forward to the rest that is still to come. We pray especially for Ed Karuliak right now. May he know your rest today and would he long for the rest that is his in glory. Give him every confidence that the door will open and Christ will welcome him into heaven while he waits for the resurrection of his body from the dead and the new creation of this world where we will live in resurrected glory with Jesus Christ, all the saints, the holy angels, and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Speak through me. Guard my tongue. May my words be your word. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. A little context is required, but uh, really, if you haven't been here, uh, or if you need a refresher, you really should go back and listen at least to last week, or two weeks ago, sermon on this, because uh, I can't preach those two sermons again and then preach this one but really what we're talking about here is entering God's rest and and what does that mean the writer of Hebrews has given us uh, an illustration that we can understand it and the illustration is the nation of Israel the nation of Israel was in slavery in Egypt God delivered them from slavery he saved them and He was taking them to the rest that He had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which was the promised land. Now, in between slavery and rest was Sinai, where they entered into covenant with God, and then the wilderness. So the illustration that the writer of Hebrews gives, inspired by the Holy Spirit for us, is that, that this nation delivered from slavery was en route to the promised land. Now they had to, in the wilderness, between what had God had done and what God had promised to do, they had to look backward in order to have faith in what was yet to happen. And so what God is expecting of Israel is, remember that you were slaves, remember that I delivered you from slavery, and have confidence that I will give you the land that I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Look backward, and in their case, just a year, in order to look forward to what I have promised. And all but two died in the wilderness because though they had seen the power of God's salvation from slavery, they did not believe that that same God that delivered them from the most powerful nation on earth could deliver them safely into Canaan. So most of them died in the wilderness. And what the writer of Hebrews says, therefore they did not enter God's rest, though they had been delivered from slavery. Now the illustration then for us is this. What? Slavery in Egypt is a picture of us being enslaved to sin. Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, saves us as as the means of deliverance from our slavery to sin. So we come out of our slavery to sin when we apply the blood of Jesus Christ to our lives. 
Now, we are going to the eternal promised land, which is heaven to start. And then God has promised in His Word, Revelation 21 and 22, that He's going to resurrect this universe in physical, substantial glory. He's going to put heaven on earth and we're going to live with our own resurrection bodies. We're going to be resurrected from the dead as well. And we're going to live in that forever. So now we are like Israel in the wilderness. We've been delivered from our slavery to sin. We're not yet in the new heavens and new earth resurrected from the dead looking at God face to face. That's the context. So, what, what are we going to do? We're in the middle of two great acts of God. Now, we believe that God saved us from sin. Do you believe that He will raise you from the dead? If you don't believe it, what the writer of Hebrews has said, and we won't go over this, uh, then don't expect to enter God's rest. Like many Israelites who died in the wilderness because they lacked faith, not in what God had done, but what God had not yet done, but promised to do. Many Israelites died because of that. Likewise, many so-called Christians who profess to believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins will not make it into the eternal promised land. They will die in the church and then go to hell. May that not be so for us. That's why we're talking about this. You see how serious this is. Serious. It requires sober thinking, prayerfulness, self-awareness, and above all, Faith. Now today's question is, so that's really the last two sermons. Today's question is, well, what is God's rest? What is this, this thing that is being held out for us that we ought to believe in? Are, are there any more details that we can put to it? What is it that we need to believe in? What is it that we need to hope for? What are we striving for? What are we journeying toward? What is it that we, that we want to enter? That's what we're going to look at today. And we've skipped over this. We've sort of talked in generalities. We're going to look at that today. And that's in verse 4 through 8. But, I mean, the writer of Hebrews, I don't know if you've noticed this in your own devotional reading, because I know that all of you have been just pouring over the book of Hebrews for the last five weeks. Have you noticed how complicated his logic is? It's really hard to follow how God has put this together. It's very articulate, very complicated, very nuanced. And so in order to make it more simple, we're going to start at the end of today's preaching passage and work backward. Because we, we at the very end, get the illustration. I'm going to begin with the illustration and then work backward in the preaching text so that we can understand what is being said. So what is God's rest? That is today's question. Well, the promised land, as we've already stretched out, is a picture of God's rest, but it is not the rest that we are hoping for. We are not hoping that God will take us into Israel and we'll become citizens of Israel. That was, in in the time of the Exodus generation, that was their hope. That's not our hope. So, So then, our hope is not that. Take a look at verses 8 through 10. 
if Joshua, Joshua is the one that led the wilderness generation into the promised land. If Joshua had given them rest, then God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So, so the first thing is that what I've said. The promised land is an illustration. It's not our rest. Joshua took the wilderness generation into the land and it was said of them that they rested in the land after the conquest. But that's not the rest that we are hoping for. In fact, it's not even the rest for Israel when they entered into the land. That's not the ultimate rest that they were hoping for. Uh, this cannot be the fullness of God's rest. And the writer gives us two reasons for this. Did you catch them? The first one says, if, if that had been it, if that was the extent to God's plan of salvation, take Israel from slavery to Canaan, from Egypt to promised land, if that, if that's the extent of God's solution to the fall of Adam and Eve, follow his logic? That wasn't a conclusion. That was a, a down payment, a picture of something bigger that God was going to do in history. So if, if that had been it, well, God would then wouldn't have spoken of another day later on. When did God speak of another day later on? Through David writing in, in the, the text in the mind of the writer of Hebrews is Psalm 95. So while... Israel is in the promised land, in their rest, and while David is king over this people, which is really a climax, right? That's right. God has put his king on the throne, and, and, and Solomon things maybe in, a, in some ways get a little bit better, but then they fall off. So in, in the reign of David, if you're in Israel, you're thinking, that's, that's pretty good. We've got God's man on the throne. We're in the land that God promised to Abraham. That's pretty good. And the writer of Hebrews says, well, if that's pretty good, that God wouldn't have, or if that's what God was really His goal, He would not, through that king, that man, that psalm writer, have said, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. For as I said in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So David seems to think that the conquest with Joshua was but an illustration of a bigger theological point that God is trying to make. That's what the writer of Hebrews is picking up on here. Even in the Old Covenant, even, even in the days of David, Joshua leading the people into the Promised Land was but a picture of what God was doing for the people of God. At that time, Israel, and now for all of the nations through the Gospel. So that's the first thing. This cannot be the fullness of God's rest because David, while reigning in the Promised Land, said there is greater rest yet to come. That's the first reason. Second reason... Verse 10, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So while Israel's in the promised land enjoying the, the rest of Joshua, they're still working six days out of seven. And, and when they weren't being faithful seven days out of seven, they were, they, they were still struggling with their sin nature. 
You know, if, if God's solution to the fall of Adam and Eve, if God's solution to, to uh, the corruption of what it means to be a human being is to take the, the family of Abraham, multiply them in slavery, and then give them the, the land in Canaan, well, that hasn't solved the problem, is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. They're, they're still working. They're still striving. They're still sinning. They're, they're still struggling with life and death. And that going into a parcel of land in the Middle East cannot be the solution. That's what he's saying. Therefore, the writer of Hebrews says, based on these two points, something bigger is going on. And what that bigger that's going on is this, that through history and through Scripture, God is bringing His people through a series of historical experiences to give us an illustration of a bigger salvation, not from slavery in Egypt to promised land in Canaan, but slavery to sin to eternal promised land. So, what Israel went through is a picture for us of something bigger. So then, what is the actual rest that we are seeking? What is the actual rest that David and the prophets were seeking? I mean, it doesn't, we don't have to just jump into the Christian church and say, oh, well, you know, David was unaware of that and he was in his rest. No, even David in the promised land knew that there was something more and he was seeking something more. There's a deeper rest. What is that? Well, what's our problem? On the day... That you take that fruit and you eat it, you shall surely die. And we did. We died spiritually. We're cut off from God. We, we will die physically. Our bodies will die. And unless God does something, the verdict was laid down in Genesis chapter 2. Unless God does something then we have forfeited God's rest and we will die and death will have the victory. That's a big problem. So the rest of God is the opposite of that. The rest of God is, is God coming in and saying, I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to take on death. And in 1 Corinthians 15, what does he say? The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And then rest. God defeats death. And then we rest. Now there's a sense in which God has defeated death on the cross. And, there, and yet we still die. So, so mission accomplished. Mission yet to be accomplished. And, and you just have to wrestle with that. It's a both and. We can be in God's rest now knowing that we're united with Christ in His death and we don't need to worry, everything's in control. And when our bodies stop living, then we transition to a new and better way of living. And yet the final victory over death is when God takes our dead corpses from the grave and says, Arise! And we do! And we enter into the eternal promised land in these bodies though glorified. That is victory over death. That is rest. So it's a both and. Take a look at Hebrews 4.4. 4. Let 
God has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. So the writer of Hebrews here is giving us a vision for what that day will be like. What will it be like when God finally vanquishes death? What will that be like? And so the writer of Hebrews is thinking, what, what would that be like? Well, it says somewhere. I love that. You know, somewhere. We'll find exactly where. It says somewhere that God rested from all his works on the seventh day. Well, where is that somewhere? Go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. And what we're about to read, this is what it will be like. Not exactly, but this is what it will be like. There will be aspects of what it was like for God to be at rest after creation that He has promised to give back to us, though we forfeited it by sinning and rebelling against Him. That, that's what the rest of God is. Genesis 1 is about creation. God created the heavens and the earth. And the last thing that God created on day six, according to Genesis one, was humanity. We were to have dominion over all things. We were to be God's vice regents in the world. We were to be uh, the image of the invisible God. Yet we often think in Colossians that when when we're told that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, uh, that that's about His divinity. I suppose it is, but I think it's more about his humanity. Because at this point in history, Adam and Eve were, were the image of the invisible God. And they were at rest. As God was at rest. So I'm going to read for you Genesis 1, 31-2-3. This is after six days of, of hard work. God created the universe in six days. Now, was it hard work? That's a, that's a human way of speaking. Everything is equally easy to God. It just existing is as easy for God as creating the universe. Well, but the Bible calls it work. He created by speaking and He spoke the creation into being. And then verse 31, And God saw everything that He had made and behold, it was very good. There was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished His work that He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work that He had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all His work that He had done in creation." So God is resting and enjoying God's rest is Adam and Eve and the animal kingdom and the Milky Way and the far off galaxies and every star and every moon and every comet and every animal and every bird and every fish. All of creation is very good. All of creation is at rest. Now you might say to me, uh, Pastor, have you not read chapter 2? I have read chapter 2. God then commissions Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. And He commissions them to work in the garden and to subdue it and to fill the earth and to go out and to sort of take Eden all over the earth. You say, well, isn't that work? Well, yes, in a sense, but not really. It's not work when you're resting in God. Chapter 3 comes along and they take that fruit and they sin. And now God says, now it's going to be work. By the sweat of your brow, you will produce food. And I'm going to curse the world and the world is not at rest anymore. And we're not at rest because we're struggling against God's curses, uh, which are meant to drive us to Christ. Okay, 
So, so from the fall until, uh, until the return of Christ, there is a sense in which the world is not at rest. So whether you're in slavery in Egypt or you're reigning on the throne of David in Jerusalem, you're not at rest because you have this sin nature that is working against everything that God wants you to do. And that's work. And so, the promise of rest is to get to the other side of the curses. For God to restore this. And God saw everything that He made and behold, it was very good. That's going to be real again. That's going to happen. But just not yet. It's been accomplished by Christ on the cross. But, but just look around. It's, it's not there. When God looked at on day seven, after six days of creation, He saw it was all very good. He saw that there was no sin. There was no curse. There was no more work to be done in the sense of making something new. It was all cultivation. All reality was blessed. All reality was holy. There's no sin. Now compare this state of reality with our reality today. Creation groans under the curse of our sin. It's in Romans 8. Creation didn't do anything wrong, but we being a part of creation and being the high point of creation, when we sinned, the whole creation fell with us. God, God cursed the world that we live in All the natural disasters, all the difficulty, the toil, the struggle just to stay alive. Sin runs rampant. Humanity is under God's curse. There's much work to be done. And in our reality, we're we're not blessed and holy in this world, are we? The things that we see around us, we're corrupted and profane. Now, that's the reality for, for any and for all who are outside of Christ. This is where the, the beginning of God's rest comes into this world. So that's the context in which we exist as, as uh, living, breathing, believing Christians. But by faith, in the midst of all this darkness and unrest... The Christian is transferred from the kingdom of darkness, which the world has become because of the sin of Adam and Eve, and we get transferred into the kingdom of God's glorious light. When does that happen? It happens on the moment that you profess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that He took your sins to the cross and then to the grave, and that He came back to life and ascended and He's coming back for us. If that is true of you, then you are already now enjoying the first fruits of God's rest. What It means that all this toil and struggle and the sin that's in the world, though that is still all around you and you're still battling it in the weakness of your flesh, at the center of your soul is a regenerated heart that loves righteousness. And in that place, you are holy unto God. That's why we can say that we are saints. Saints is just a Greek uh, Greek word, or hagios is the Greek word that we translate saints, which means holy ones. So if you believe in this and you've been changed, you've been given new birth, you've been given a new heart, then you are a saint. You are holy on the inside and in your heart you are at 
rest. Therefore, the rest we seek begins today. We are already citizens in heaven even while we maintain our dual citizenship with, as citizens on earth. But our true citizenship is in heaven. We are already transferred from Satan's kingdom to Christ's kingdom. We are already enjoying the first fruits of rest. But this rest is not complete. We see a different law waging war against our hearts, the inner part of our soul, in the members of our, our flesh, of our bodies. And though we want to do what's right, oh, we do what we hate and we sin. And, and for the fleeting pleasures of sin, we wage war against ourselves. And so we're not at rest. But we are at rest. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Praise be to God through Jesus Christ. That's Romans 7, which flows right into Romans 8, which is all about the culmination of this rest. We have it in down payment form, but there's more to come. And, and so Paul, you get down into Romans 8, he says, I am convinced that the sufferings of this present age, which sufferings? All of them. That put us in a place of unrest, at least in the members of our body and the war that we're waging against ourselves. Yes, our heart is, is safeguarded by the Holy Spirit and our heart is at rest and is holy and untainted and pure and seeks God. But, but, there's more rest to come. And, and where Paul goes in Romans 8 is he, he talks about and he says that, that greater rest to come starts with creation. The creation that was cursed because of our sin. See, we're, it's all tying together, I hope, for you. The first thing that God is going to do, maybe not in chronological order, but in Romans 8, is He's going to restore rest to the universe. He's going he's to look at it again and He's going to say, it's good, it's very good. And in order for us to be uh, habitants of that Universe at rest, He's going to bring to completion the work that He started in us when we put our faith in Christ. The redemption of our bodies. And the war that is raging between our hearts, our inner man, the center of our soul, which is at rest with Christ, sealed by the Holy Spirit, and, and the sin nature that clings so tightly to us, that will finally come to an end. And when our bodies die, the war is over. We go and we be with Christ in our spirits, waiting for resurrection from the dead. And the bodies that Jesus raises from the grave will be raised in glory. They will have no traces of our sin nature left in them. We'll be partakers of the divine nature along with Christ. See how beautiful it is? We start in slavery. We're on our way somewhere. Where? To God's rest. What's that like? Well, it's like the promised land, only better. We're not quite there yet. I'm in the middle. Now, will I make it there? Yes, I will. And if you believe that, everything that I've just talked about is yours. The good news and the bad news. Good news. The door is still open 
for any and for all to enter that rest. But it will not be open forever. The day will come when God will shut the door. And now if you are not in His rest, you will never enter His rest. When does the door slam shut? There's two occasions when the door slams shut. The first occasion is when our bodies stop working. If you have not entered God's rest, if you have not received a regenerated heart by faith in Jesus Christ, by the time you give your last breath, you will never enter God's rest. When will you die? Maybe today. door is still open. The opportunity is not limited except by the end of your days. Second opportunity when, when uh, the d- door slams shut is when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. That's the end. So the good news is that the door is still open now. So long as it's called today. And so if you've never put your faith in Christ, now is the time. Do it or perish. It's also an opportunity for us who call ourselves Christian to examine ourselves and make sure, is this real? Am I really on my way to the eternal promised land? Or will I, like those Israelites, fall in the wilderness and fail to attain the rest that God has promised? Don't be casual in that self-examination. Because I don't know this to be true, but I am fairly certain, not with any names in my mind, but just on on the law of probabilities and the, the pattern of God's Holy Scripture, there's always a remnant within a group that is saved. Which means that we're not all saved. Some of us might know that about ourselves. Others might not know that about ourselves. That's the bad news. So who among us is not saved? This is not worth gambling. Take a look at verses 5-7 to in Hebrews 4. So verse verse 4 talks about the rest that we're looking forward to and then comes the warning again. And again, so he's repeating it. He's repeated this many, many times. Again, don't forget in this passage that, that, that I'm exegeting, says the writer of Hebrews, he did say, though the, the promise of rest was there, he did say that there are some who shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it. Now here's my exhortation to you. My pastoral loving exhortation. It still remains for some to enter God's rest. In this room. Those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. So think about the illustration. Don't be like those Israelites who died in the wilderness thinking that the promised land was their right. But 
Again, now back to the good news. He appoints a certain day. What day? Today. Don't wait for tomorrow or next week or next month. Today is the day. And he said this through David. In words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. I've just presented very similar words that I presented two weeks ago. Uh, Today is a new today. Same message, more or less. But I really feel that God wants to keep that door open. And so today, as the writer of Hebrews keeps repeating this, I'm repeating it over and over again that no one would miss it. Today, if you hear His voice, you've seen what it takes to enter into the promised land. Don't harden your hearts. So where are we as a people? Do you want to enter God's rest now and at the end of the age? Some may not even know if they want to. If that's you, come talk to me. Do you want no more striving? No more seeking to earn God's favor? No more worrying about do my good works outweigh my bad works? Or how do I know if I'm just quite good enough? Well, part of the rest that God gives us is that's all rubbish. You just rest in the finished work of Christ. Not weighing out good works against bad works. Do you want no more striving? No more guessing? No more trying to be good enough for a perfect God? That's God's rest. Do you want that? You know, even as Christians, we need to hear that, don't we? No more striving, no more trying, no more, no more legalistic workspace, puff myself up, pull myself up by my bootstraps, enter into God's rest by my own sweat and toil. Let Jesus do all the work. Do you want forgiveness from sin? See, once you're in God's rest, you have every assurance that God has punished all your sin. Past, present, future. Do you want, and this is for me the most important. I mean, how do you, how do you say most important? It is for me that which deserves the greatest emphasis. That's more accurate. Where we're at in the church today. Not that it's more important, I stand corrected. But that which I believe we need to really emphasize in the church today. Do you want the promise of future glorification? Do you long for the day when there's no more sin nature in you? No more struggle. Do you long for the day when you will never, ever, ever be sick again? Do you crave a day when you no longer ever grow weary and tired? Just think about that. Just the full power of God rushing through you with greater force than Niagara Falls all the time. Never tired. Always wired on God. It's great. Do you want that? 
Do you want a reality where there is no more death and dying? No more war. No more debt. No more anxiety or depression. No more fear. No more broken relationships. No more strife in our marriages. No more estrangement from our children. No more uh, half-hearted worship. Just resurrection from the dead. Strong, indestructible, imperishable, immortal bodies. I imagine we'll be able to fly. Jesus ascended and we will have a body like His. At at, at the day that Christ returns and the trumpet sounds, we meet Him where? In the air. You want to fly? I I can't promise you flight, but... (laughs) It's going to be good, whatever it is. The laws of, of nature will be different. They'll be packed with greater glory and substance. Do you want, do you want a reality where you're always perfectly safe? No more locking your doors. No more fear of thieves and robbers. No more fear of somebody injuring your body, hurting your conscience or bullying you. Do you want deep, unending joy? No longer those days where it's just hard. You just can't wait for the end of the day. And then at the end of the day, you, you loathe the end of the day because it be, brings a new start tomorrow. Do you want, you want that to be yesterday's news? Do you want fellowship with all of the saints who have ever lived from Adam to the last saint? I, I'm looking forward to that. Adam, why'd you do it? And then he looked look at me and say, why'd you do it? Fellowship with all of the holy angels? Most importantly, do you want full, unmediated access to God? There He is. And you're standing there and He's right there. What we just talked about is God's rest. And it's available to any and to all if you believe. And, you know, in the Old Testament, there's a lot of discussion about the Sabbath. And do you know why God instituted the Sabbath? It was patterned after day seven of creation. But everything in in the Sabbath regulations were always to remind us back to the Sabbath rest that God enjoyed after creation as a promise for what is coming at the very end. So do you want to keep Sabbath in between? Yes, you do. You know, how do you keep Sabbath? Oh, keep it according to your conscience. But I do know this. There's a lot of debate about the Sabbath. I'm not getting into That's a totally different sermon series. But what we can and we must affirm about the Sabbath is that you must keep the Sabbath in remembrance of what God has done in hope for what God promises to do and to say, I am in God's rest now and I will be more fully in God's rest at the end. That's keeping the Sabbath. And other things, but it it starts there. 
The Sabbath is looking forward to that which we already enjoy in part, which is God's rest. All of this is offered to us by God. And so I join with David. I join with the writer of Hebrews. I join with the Holy Spirit who wrote this book. Today, if you hear His voice and you see and you hear what He has put on offer for you, do not harden your hearts. Examine yourself. Take which is freely offered, uh, 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 secured for us by the work of Christ. God has said, as I swore in my wrath, there are some that shall not enter my rest. Today, if you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts. Enter God's rest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for this church. I pray that You would give us a good gift and that we shall all enter Your rest. I know it goes against the pattern of Your Scriptures. There's usually always a remnant. But I am praying for an overabundance of grace that flows freely from Jesus Christ. Grace upon grace. For this flock. Everyone seated here today who has heard your voice would respond in faith and be saved. Be bountifully generous with us, O God. Do a good work by your sovereign authority. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.